Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazzanoble. And we are here with the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. That's right. Uh, to return to the amazing 36-year-long D&D campaign that Robert Wardaw has been running in London, Ontario, around about those parts. He said he started in the western uh, part of Canada. Um, for 36 years. This is crazy. Continuous storyline. Multiple times a week. Yeah. Um, spanning more than same. 400 years of history in game time. Uh, and a lot of the same characters. A lot of the same players. Oh, that's what I mean. Players. Yeah. Players from that time, from yes. when he started when he was a kid to now. Uh, he's incorporating his daughter uh, into it now, who's 17. Fantastic. So good. And uh, it's kind of a homebrew type thing, building on Dungeons and Dragons lore, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, Conan the Barbarian, all types of fun inspirations and things that he's using uh, throughout it. And uh, I can't wait to uh, revisit it all. And he's going to be on Twitch. Here he's doing some programming on Twitch of this like of this game. So you can get a little bit of information about what it's like to play by watching it. I would it. love to see this game in action. Me too. He sounds like a really... Interesting dungeon master. Exactly. Yeah. So you'll hear all about it in our uh, interview. It's uh, it's pretty fantabulous. Yeah, I think so. Um, but other stuff that's going on in Dungeons and Dragons. What can you? Uh, why don't we start with Avalon Hill? Let's what, do that. What is going on? Board games. Board games. Board games. They're coming out uh, like water from a fire hose. I was going to say something gross, and then I changed my mind. That's well. Now we all have that image in in our heads of what you were really going to say. Sorry, Um, Axis and Allies and Zombies should be out by the time you hear this fun podcast. Yes, and Betrayal Legacy, the legacy version of the critically acclaimed, award-winning Betrayal at House on the Hill, designed by Robert Davio, who will be a guest on Dragon Talk very soon. He will be. Yes, that's true. We're going to talk all about the game design. Very exciting. And what a cool game, though. Oh, my God. Not only did he work on uh, the first iteration of Betrayal at House on the Hill back mm-hmm. in the 2000s there, yep. um, but he's also the, the progenitor of the whole legacy idea of board games, yep. and uh, uh, we'll talk all about what that means uh, when we talk to him, but Can't it is, wait. it's pretty exciting. Yes. Um, and it's got a lot of crossover with... Uh, what we're talking about with Robert today. Kind of, yeah. The whole legacy idea and passing on game, in-game lineage. Lineage. Yeah. Through generations and generations. It's super cool. It's so good. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, Those of you out there in Dungeons & Dragons world are most likely playing through some fun Waterdeep Dragon Heist goings-on. I know I am. My campaign has been super fun and I've been enjoying um, going through the beginning of it. We haven't gotten to the end stages of it yet, so uh, we've got plenty of time to wait for Dungeon of the Mad Mage, also set in Waterdeep, or below Waterdeep, yeah. more likely. Um, that adventure is coming out on November 9th in game stores and November 20th uh, everywhere. That's Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica is also out at that exact time. November awesome. 9th in game stores. Um, November 20th everywhere. That's everything you need to play D&D in the uh, plane of Ravnica, which is also an urban uh, adventure. Uh, and it's focused on uh, the ten guilds uh, that kind of rule the bureaucracy of that setting. So One-stop shopping. Cool stuff there. Check out if you're interested in, in what kind of D&D storytelling you can tell in uh, this uh, 
uh, book that's uh, set in Ravnica. Go watch The Broken Pact. Uh, it is Dungeon Master by Ruben Bressler. It's on the D&D Twitch channel, so uh, uh, twitch.tv slash dnd. Uh, it's on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time, and uh, they will be at TwitchCon. Uh, you, you might have already, TwitchCon might have already passed by the time you listen to this, but there was also an, an episode that went live there, too, live from the D&D and Magic booth, so perfect timing. Perfect. Perfect place, too. The D&D and Magic booth. Exactly, right? It's like a combo Worlds deal. Colliding. Worlds are colliding. Uh, we've talked a lot about the D&D gift sets. Those are coming yes. uh, later in the month, as well as the ABCs and 1, 2, 3s yes. of D&D. Uh, you're going to need those for your kid. Learn them up on uh, their, their letters and numbers and their D&Ds. And once they know their letters and their numbers and their D&Ds, then you can play Dungeon Mayhem. Ooh, coming out on November 16th, this game. An amazing card game. All the cards you need in one small package. So fun. Put it in everybody's stocking it's this so holiday season. It's so fun. Even a baby can play it. They can. Yeah. We play tested it on babies. <laughs> like playing on they're top like, of babies. We yeah. were able to put cards on top of babies. Yes, and we were like when they're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so easy a sleeping baby can play it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, it is very simple and easy to learn. I've ta- I've taught people to play it in minutes. And I've taught people, and that is not my my. That's not your suit. forte. Not really. No. And I, well, maybe. Gosh, maybe I'm. I mean, I think I'm teaching them correctly. I hope so because I'll be at GameholeCon teaching it. You want to talk about GameholeCon? What you're going to be doing there? I'm going to be running Dungeon Mayhem games. Nice. Come find me. I will play with you. I will throw down with you. I know, well, Alex. I mean, in a good way, in a very. Play. Alex Cammer's uh, daughter is playing Dungeon uh, there. I think oh, she's yeah, got she's a whole running. track to doing that. Yeah, so, yeah. She is. Yeah, so you should maybe just work in some Dungeon Mayhem maybe into there. Maybe I should there. Just go play with her. You should. She's got she's got uh, uh, some skills. I think is playing the wizard in that in that. Uh, I feel like game. she'll beat me. Oh, then she'll want to play the wizard in Dungeon Mayhem. Duh. And that's kind of like a really good character to play. That's kind of where it's at. Yeah. All right. Anyway. There's so much going on. That's just a small tidbit of all of the happenings. We didn't even mention Extra Life, uh, which is occurring very soon, if not already. Thank you so much How, for donating yeah. all the money that you have. Uh, if you're interested, <laughs> money, yeah. all the money that you have donated. To, left to buy all of these fine products we have uh, coming out on the same day. <laughs> but it all goes to benefit the kids of Seattle Children's Hospital. Uh, my kid has... Uh, Use those facilities Mine uh, too. because of her broken arms um, and not just, just one arm. I just like saying plural things. Broken arms. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, an we octopus. love it. We've, we've raised tons of money already and uh, we uh, it's a love letter to the community to uh, of thanks for all that Very you've done nice. so far. They are a super generous community. Yeah, you guys. We're uh, like number two in the ranking. High fives. Out of all of Extra Life. High fives Extra- all around for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're gunning for you, number one spot. We're coming. Are we? We're not that far behind. Yeah, it's true. We never know. We're going to raise even more money for yeah. the kids. So good stuff there. And uh, please, if you haven't donated to Shelly and my page, uh, uh, separate pages, but um, I, 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 need, I need donations. I need them. I need them now. All right. I knew, I'm Maybe not gonna... I'll donate to your campaign. Oh, yeah, totes. I'm not going to be able to get up to what Mike Merles and, and Chris no. Lindsay have, but, uh, but it all goes to the same place. So we're excited about it. I know. All right, let's throw it to a fun lore segment. Okay. Uh, a little warning for this one as well. It is a horror themed a bit. Uh, what is so I don't, going on? I don't want you to jump in not having that in your mind. If any kind of disturbing 
thoughts uh, of, of horror things. Is that uh, really you know, creepy? Feel free to check out. Not, not really, but I just feel like, you know, we, got, we went to some dark places. I don't want to necessarily throw people in without any warning. That's nice of you. Yeah, so I'm just throwing Because we're so uplifting and positive. Exactly. And then it would just be weird. Exactly. We yeah. don't want to be like, love lift us up it's- where demons burn. <laughs> it would be like you fell into a deep, dark hole. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, But there's some great ideas if you want to run some horror-themed one-shots around this time. There's Now's the time to do it. The fall, uh, Halloween in general, All yep. Hallows' Eve, uh, All Souls' get, Day. Get for ready for some Betrayal Legacy. And then get ready for some Betrayal Legacy. Because it's scary. It's in, even some Access and Allies and Zombies, also scary. Zombies are not scary. Oh, they're a horde. These are kind of creepy. All right, so let's go and listen to uh, some fun ideas that Chris has for horror. Okay. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. And today on this segment where we dive into little bits of D&D lore, we are going to talk about scary monsters. There's a lot of scary monsters out there in Dungeons & Dragons. There Uh, are. We use them. Most of them are pretty scary when you think about it. Uh, But for this one, we wanted to delve into uh, more topical, traditional scary monsters that you may not see all the time uh, and that could be uh, themed for a Halloween-y type one-shot. We talked about Domains of Dread most recently uh, on Lori Chanel, but here's some other things that you could add that aren't an entire adventure, but at least something that you can can use. Yes. Uh, so like ghosts, uh, things like that, or, or yeah, it's hard to go wrong with ghosts. Yes, and their possession ability can make for some fun role playing, as it turns out. Exactly, because that's yeah. that's that's horrifying. Yes, having your control taken away from a player. Yes, and you can you can really sort of play with the ghosts' ethereal ability, which is to say that they don't have to reveal themselves right away. They can make things jangle and rattle before they show up to terrify you with their presence. Um, and so I think the best ghosts are the ones who aren't just, you know, floating in front of you and waving. Um, they're the ones that are writing things on dust in the floor and uh, causing creaks and growls and other strange noises. Yeah. It, it's a slow build is the best one where it's like, OK, yeah. there's a foreshadowing. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's probably nothing. And yes. then it gets creepier and creepier. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Until there's red rum in Red rum. And, and, and blood written on the mirror. Oh, yes. That's a reference to The Shining, kids. <laughs> <laughs> a very vo- very ancient film by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Based on an even more ancient Stephen King novel. It's before your time, <laughs> youngins. <laughs> Read your literature. That's what we do. We steal all our ideas from some previous yes. works. Yes, it came from a book, <laughs> which is a thing with pages in it. Um, uh, yeah. So like a pamphlet? They, I get it's cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah, ghosts are, are great for that reason. Uh, yeah, they're, they're good old standbys. Uh, a monster that probably doesn't get much credit uh, for being a good horror monster, but is a ton of fun to play the, the sheer horror of, is Kuatoa. Oh, why would you say that? The reason I would is because of their Lovecraftian roots. Mm. Um, Lovecraft monsters... Uh, have a warm, fuzzy place in D&D. Um, or a wet, slimy place. A wet, slimy place. Uh, Gary Gygax was a fan of Lovecraft and counted Lovecraft as one of the inspirations for Dungeons & Dragons. And mm. so there are a plethora of Lovecraftian monsters that show up, including Mind Flayers. Yes. But Kuwato are often unsung um, 
antagonists. One of the delightful things about them is in their lore, they used to be human. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, they were humans who basically were subjugated by mind flayers or creatures like them mm-hmm. and degen- were degenerated into their current mad state. Fish-like. And so they're these slimy, sticky, crazy fish-like humanoids that live underground or in the darkest depths of the world, mm-hmm. uh, be that in the deep seas or in the deep caverns of the underdark. Um, one of their cool uh, traits is sort of this otherworldly insight that they have. They might seem like just sort of gibbering maniacs, uh, but they do have this kind of otherworldly perception. Yeah. And so you can play with that as a DM to sort of suggest maybe they're besetting this village because they can sort of, they have some prescience about somebody who's come to the village that they want to join their ranks or who's destined to lead them or whatever. Mm. The other great thing about Kuatoa is that they invent their own gods. Right. So they, when they are, when they need sort of, uh, when their, their faith is tested or when they need leadership or when they're ready to act, they basically craft their gods as icons out of whatever detritus they can dig up. Um, often piecemealing things together to create these absolutely horrid mm-hmm. mishmash creatures. And if they believe in these icons strongly enough, they can make these gods actually physically manifest. Mm. So you could have a whole adventure where, you know, Kuatoa are raiding areas around an old settlement, gathering up things to fashion a god in some sunken cave somewhere or in some pirate ship wreck that's sort of crashed off the rocks and if they succeed this god will rise up out of the sea and devour everyone interesting that's that's something you can do to almost combine what we were talking about with ghosts and Mm -hmm. this being that is conjured up by the collective belief of the village of kuatoa yeah you know where something strange is happening maybe the the human settlement nearby is like there's these things going on and we don't know what it means there's these dead fish heads that keeps you know coming up and we don't know why you know and then you slowly over time discover that it was this effigy yes that is now brought to life exactly they might need you know parts of people to help make the effigy too so kuatoa scouting parties going in with sticky nets grabbing people and dragging them back to their lair that's creepy yes very creepy yes (laughs) speaking Uh, of creepy yeah another sort of uh good scare monster although it's not often used this way is the drow yeah um because they were they were always sort of originally portrayed as these sort of trapdoor spider-esque underground dwelling um predator monsters, these boogeymen who would come up in the dead of night, slip into towns, murder people or drag them away to be slaves. Right. Uh, that's a pretty creepy concept. And then when you consider that they actually worship a demon goddess in like a giant abyssal web, <laughs> the idea that they might you know, sacrifice to her to please her uh, sets some pretty amazing stakes. Yeah, it does. And so if you kind of play them like boogeymen... Um, you know, coming up out of the underdark and you actually have to chase them down back into the darkness. Right. That could be really creepy and fun. And a lot of people, you know, because of the excellent storytelling by R.A. Salvatore, you think of, you know, oh, they can be redeemed. But that was the reason why Drist is uh, treated the way he is on the above mm-hmm. ground is because it's, in Drow are these boogeymen that like yes. you know, steal away children and, and uh, uh, yep. you know, sacrifice them to Loth. So um, there's a lot of 
terror that involved in that. And even anything that doesn't involve the drow at all, they'd be like, oh, that was the drow that, that did that. Yeah, yeah. Um, another, another terrifying monster or a group of monsters are hags. Yes, I know you love hags. I do, and so does Jeremy Crawford. So we kind of, we kind of share um, our love of hags. The hag love. Uh, yeah, hag love going on. Uh, so <laughs> Hashtag hag love. Hags work best in covens, but they also work well alone. Yes. You can have the, lo- the, old, the old witch in the hut or the old witch in the... The Baba Yaga. Kind yeah, of exactly, joke. kind of figure. Uh, but a coven of hags is terrifying because they have heightened spellcasting abilities. Uh, one of the most... Uh, now, the Volo's Guide to Monsters, which came out over a year ago, um, talked a lot about hags. But one of their most sort of disturbing and compelling features is that they procreate by... <laughs> Uh, basically um, having ordinary people carry their young, as it were. Uh, you know, a, a, a woman in a town could be pregnant and give birth to a young girl, and it's not until that young girl turns the age of 13 when you realize that before she was born, she was swapped out with a hag child, and so she just suddenly transforms into a hag. Yeah, um, and there's it, a lot of... Uh, I guess almost surgical horror. You know, you yes. think of we, we mentioned X Files uh, a lot, yes. but uh, that is what's happening to Dana Scully uh, as mm-hmm. well. Uh, yes. Well, spoiler alert for yep. a twenty-year-old show. Uh, Anybody but, who wants to go hunting for a really good hag adventure, by the way, um, an old issue of Dungeon Magazine. <laughs> what issue number? Fifty-nine. <laughs> had an adventure called The Mother's Curse, which yes. was basically that um, a hag has has a set up to have a daughter and um, is using yeah. some poor... And um, you can use a lot of, um, you know, almost Grimm's uh, fairy tale It's very tropes, Grimm fairy tale uh, But going dark. Yes, very, very, very dark. Yeah. Another sort of dark, fae-like, predatory monster... One other thing I'll say about hags, too, is you can... One of the cool things about hags is their willingness to deal with you. They always want something, so they'll they'll give you something, some power, some benefit. You know, your true one, true love, mm-hmm. beauty, power, whatever you want. But then they call it in. You have to pay it off, and that debt is almost always more than the person can stand. Yeah. So you can imagine a vicar or a mayor of a small town who, to protect the town, basically made a deal with a hag, and now that time has expired, and the hag is coming to collect. And maybe it's the characters who have to protect the vicar from the hags, mm. you know, coming. Um, or broker a new deal or something exactly. like that. Exactly. But a monster that plays very well with hags are think monsters that play well with hags are things like crawling claws, hags that murder assassins, cut off their hands and animate them through necromantic magic. Um, or <laughs> scare- all the time. scarecrows. Yes. Uh, scarecrows are scarecrows. creepy to me. I, I love scarecrows and some yeah. of, some of the, the art that came out of fourth edition for scarecrows was some of the creepiest art we'd ever seen. Yeah. Um, and uh, Oni. Yes, good old yes. ogre mages. Yes, they are. Uh, the Oni of Fifth Edition are particularly creepy because their preferred meal is children. So that's pretty dark. Yeah, um, can't go much darker than that. Exactly. It, it's kind of like the classic creature in the closet, creature under the bed motif. This thing sneaks up and devours little kids, or tries to lure them away in some disguise, uh, and that, of course, can wreak havoc on the sanctity and peace of mind of any small village. Right. Yes. Uh, those, uh, yeah, so those are easy to weave in, uh, uh, to any campaign that's going on, but now would be a perfect time to do so if you're in the, the, yes. the, the, the horror yeah. mode. Uh, if you're looking Halloween. for something a little more, shall we say, substantial, mm. might I recommend The Death Knight 
No, people um, don't use death knights. They don't really anymore. No, not so much. Um, uh, you know, there have been there's at least one classic death knight, and that's Lord Soth from the Dragonlance and yes. later Ravenloft setting. Um, but the idea of this ancient warrior who refuses to die, mm. um, you could have the idea of, you know, there's, a, there's an old death knight basically living in the castle on the hill waiting for the day to, you know, bring his armies up from the dead, you know, to ravage the land or conquer his enemies. Um, uh, is there a way to use that? I mean, of course, now I'm just kind of spitballing for story stuff, but like, you know, early on in a campaign, they can be used as an antagonist. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Now, Death Knights are very powerful. They're like CR-17 monsters. Right. But maybe the, you're, the, the effects of that type of thing. Correct. As the players uh, uh, and their characters grow in power, maybe yeah. Aragorn style, you're using that Death Knight's armies against a greater evil somehow. Precisely, yes. Because they're lawful. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you have to actually go talk to the Death Knight. Maybe maybe there is some other threat to the land and if you can convince the Death Knight to basically raise his army yeah. back from the dead, the Death Knight will defend the land against this new encroaching evil. Right. But woe be to you if you betray the Death Knight or don't follow through on you know his demands or what he or she wants. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of bargaining and, 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 indeed. and finding yeah, out. Yeah, when you're dealing with somebody that powerful, you have to be very, very cautious. It's not just, a th- it's not, maybe not a threat you can destroy. And actually, the way Death Knights are written up, they can't be destroyed. Ever? Well, you can, you can sort of destroy their form, but they come back. Right. They're, they essentially, until they feel like their mission in death, in undeath, is over, mm-hmm. they don't cease to exist. Uh, they're even more powerful and um, persistent than liches in that way. With a lich, you can destroy its phylactery. Yes, there's a, there's yeah. a, 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 a death knight, way. A death knight exists through sheer force of will. Mm. And until it decides that it doesn't want to be around anymore, it will keep coming back, which is terrifying. That is terrifying. Do you think the, uh, you know, I mean, a lich is a, is a great antagonist. Do you think they have a, a, a creepy component that you could bring to life? Oh, no. Liches are warm. Yeah, no, they're super, super nice. <laughs> yeah, we'll save those for Easter. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, obvi- obviously, any, any undead is fair game, I think. That's sort of, I wouldn't call it low-hanging fruit, but, you know, you can look at an undead and pretty much concoct any horror story you want to. Yeah. I think that um, um, of, of the undead, it seems like death knights get the less use than liches. We see liches all the time. Right. Um, and that's understandable. They're very, very cool, like vampires and whatnot. Um, but in just trying to reach into my mind for some of the more sort of obscure monsters, uh, that would probably be like the one, the death yeah. knight would be the one that doesn't see as much use these days. Yeah, and it, and it builds on some other tropes of like, you know, the horseman or like the... the yes, the, you could almost do a headless horseman style, but with a death knight exactly. in the role. And it's like, well, we can't really kill this guy. And he, you know, so we've got to figure out some other way right. of stopping him, either by finding his head or... Oh, finding yeah. his the you know maybe his sword got broken at some point and the blade is hidden yeah. somewhere if you can if you can retrieve the blade he'll you know link the weapon together into one that sword will suddenly redeem him and he'll just turn to dust before your eyes mm. there's all kinds of playroom there i'm trying to think of other you know, there's something that you mentioned in the last uh lore you should know uh about a sentient sword Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something ah, that people yes. don't really think about a lot. That's it's true. evil yes. magic items that have their own malevolent force <laughs> to them. Exactly. One of, my fa- uh, one of my favorite things to do is to take 
uh, an otherwise ordinary magic item and given it give it some malevolence. Yeah. And it could be a weapon, or it doesn't have to be. It could be like um, a hangman's rope mm. that has gained sentience and is basically looking to finish the work uh, that its previous owner, um, who maybe was killed before his time, um, and so it's like a relic. Usually, usually the item is a reflection of some of some creator or some previous owner, yeah. and seeks to complete the work that its previous owner could not. Right. And so the hangman's noose that's basically creeping around and strangling people in the night Ooh. makes for a sort of insidious threat. Yeah, because um, otherwise it's just a pile of rope. Yes, the the pipes of the sewers that can basically possess its owner and then use the owner to summon rat swarms to devour his enemies Yeesh. would also be kind of a fun thing to play with. A headband or helm uh, that you know conveys the thoughts of the long departed into the mind of its wearer mm. and so sort of transforms you into someone can lend... Uh, a really spooky narrative to your story where the hero having acquired this item doesn't realize that they're sort of under its sway. They might wake up in the morning with blood all over their hands and their Uh. gear and not know where it came from. And it's only because they have forgotten that they were basically possessed the night before by the item in their possession and went on a rampage. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of things you can do with sentient items. And you're right. It's a seldom explored opportunity for, for true horror. Have you ever run a uh, like a monkey's paw type adventure where it, uh, a magic item or, or a being mm-hmm. gives you the wishes that you ever would, would desire but t- you know, twist them in some way? Uh, no, I haven't, but that's a really clever idea. Um, you know, what would be a good monkey's paw in, in D&D besides yeah. the, the obvious hand of Vecna? Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, a, yeah. a ring of wishes that yes. uh, is actually an evil ring of wishes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got like the, some sort of evil genie bound inside of it who can only escape if you end, if it tricks you into wishing for something specific mm. um, and, and is sort of malevolently guiding you toward uh, making wishes that further its own ends. Um, maybe you have to wish it out of the ring. That's yeah, the only maybe. way. Yeah, so it exactly. tricks you into doing that. Right. Um, or maybe there's a price for every wish. You know, it sucks the soul out of... It draws its energy from somewhere. It's not just giving you something for free. You know, something, yeah, there's a price that's there's paid a, There's a hidden price somewhere, and maybe you have to research the ring to find out even what the, what, what the, the hook is, what the thing is, um, before you make a wish that's going to cost you dearly. Yeah, yeah, that'd be really interesting. Um, I'm trying to think... Oh, um, so... <laughs> If you, if you want to really play with something weird and fun, um, the mimic. Oh. It's you pretty simple. You wouldn't think of it as a good horror monster, but actually, given its nature, it can inspire some serious horror. Just, just the normal mimic. Uh, especially when you realize... <laughs> I was going to... Let me come back for the mimic in just for a second. Okay. Well, before I forget, I also want to mention the Otiug. Oh, the garbage monster. The garbage monster. The garbage-eating, awful-eating monster. Uh, you don't normally think of that as being a horror story monster. It's more like just an underground creature you encounter in a garbage pile or whatever that attacks you. Yeah. Until you realize that the Otiug has limited telepathy. So it can speak. So it can basically you. communicate with you. And the idea that you know this garbage monster is basically um, musing on the how it's going to, you know tear you apart and feast on your flesh even before you even know what it is 
Uh, and you could have it crawling up from below. Maybe it sort of got up into the sewers of a city and is now hiding in back alleys and garbage piles and basically dragging people to their doom. And the last thing they hear is the whispers of this creature in their mind. Like, I'm going to chew you exactly. and digest you slowly all the so, time. But in the topic of Mimic, um, yeah. there was an old dungeon adventure called The Vanishing Village in issue 19. <laughs> <laughs> and it introduced us to the House Hunter, which is basically a huge Mimic that can assume the form of a small house. And its shtick is, you know, it waits until you literally walk into it before, you know, all of its windows reveal themselves to be just, you know, the eyes eyes and the thing. And and so you are basically in its gullet as it engulfs you suddenly. And the premise of this adventure is you, you find this village that is on no map. And that nobody ever remembers having passed through before. And that's because all of the buildings are house hunter mimics. They're, ba- they're like a pack that move around. And then just set up, yeah. here's a ghost town. Exactly. But you could also imagine the same thing like a gigantic mimic that's basically taken the form of a wizard's tower that yeah. appears on a lonely hill out of nowhere. And you think, where did this tower come from? We've got to go check it out. And the village is like, yeah, go check it out. That's weird. And as soon as you walk inside it, suddenly all the stairs become amorphous and the glue from the mimic starts to seize you. Mm. Appendages come out and grab you and you find yourself fighting your way out of the monster. Itself. Yes. Yeah. You start to be digested for for, uh, 10,000 years inside the mimic. Exactly. So that's, that's a case where somebody clearly took an existing monster and kind of extrapolated to make it as bad as possible. Mm. So we're going to make it super big and it can look like a house or it can look like a tower. You can imagine that there may be other monsters where you can just say, okay, is there a version of this monster that's even scarier than what's in the monster manual? Mm. And, and there's, because it is D and D there's, I think what all of these almost have in common is, uh, the act of discovery. Like you think it's one thing. Right. But it's always the twist, the surprise, the, the, the monster is either not what you thought it was, or it's more complicated or, um, than, than you, than you thought it was, or it's hidden in some crafty, clever way. It's learned to adapt under its particular circumstances. The evil sentient sword is a good example of that. It doesn't look evil. You may not even know it's evil until it's too late. Right, it's already in your sweat. Yeah, right, you're already yeah. under its, it's in your gut, or it's in your friend. Or it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's led you down a path that you don't want to walk. Exactly. So it's about as a dungeon master, it's all about yes. uh, giving uh, small clues so yes. that when the twist happens, it's not yes. a oh, I didn't even think that was even possible. You want it to be the dread of like oh, I know this is going to be bad, and it is bad. They just it's not exactly the way they thought it was going to be bad. And yeah, it's, exactly. it's a hard thing to pull off. Absolutely, but. Uh, and basically, but it starts with, I'm going to take a monster and I'm going to add one thing to it. What's that thing? What's that thing that's going to surprise the players? And it's got to be something better than, it's yellow instead of brown. Um, <laughs> that's creepy. Yellow instead of brown. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if it's, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a whale and, uh, or, 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 or an otherwise ordinary animal and, uh, combine it with the druid's awaken spell and now give it intelligence. Mm. So now it's not just a bear, it's an awakened bear. It's a bear that thinks and talks like a human. What does that mean for this creature and how can it now use or adapt to its newfound power uh, to, cre- to make it even more formidable or dangerous? And steal all of the picnic baskets. And steal all the picnic baskets. That's yes. from a cartoon from the 60s, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yogi Bear, watch it up. Yep. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, uh, a, a great uh, kind of overview of ways that you can incorporate creepy monsters uh, into any D and D game, but hopefully more yeah. uh, during this. And if you can use my all time favorite monster, you know, all time favorite creep out monster, the uh, Scarecrow, all the better. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's something weird about Scarecrows. Yeah. Yes, and you can do fun things with them by saying, you know, that that guy that you killed or hanged, his spirit is now in the scarecrow, coming mm-hmm. back for you. It's very revenant, like. Yeah. Yeah. It's after that hangman's noose, mm-hmm. trying to find right. it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And you, combining monsters is another way to create surprise. Yeah. Take two monsters that don't normally work together and put them together, right. and, and how does terrifying? This, and it's the relationship is yes, terrifying. Exactly. In a way. Yeah. Cool stuff. All right. How can people get in touch with you, Mr. Royce Perkins? I am at Twitter, uh, no, on Twitter, at Chris Perkins DND. Excellent. Yes. Um, very excited about uh, this Halloween slash horror season. So hopefully you'll see some more stuff yes. uh, uh, come out. Many of the monsters we talked about today appear in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Oh, they do. So in various horrific manners so you'll have to discover that yes indeed when it comes out uh november 9th in game stores november 20th everywhere else so look for that then all right thank you very much and we'll be back with another lore you should know next week that was horrific i feel really scared right now oh my god you look different It's my head. It's on backwards. Oh, no. It's spinning around and around. Ah, Green vomit. Green vomit. Green vomit. Did you start watching The Haunting of Hill Hill House? Um, I'm going to have to say hell to the no. We're on episode three now. What? It took a long time to get through episode one. I do not. scary. Well, here's where I admit. I don't actually like horror. I kind of check out pretty quick. Well, I'm kind of with you, but I feel like. Once I can figure out the formula, yeah. and like I know like what kind of horror this is going to be, is it like just like ooh, like blood and guts horror, or is it like the suspenseful horror? And right. this is, then you kind of know like, oh, right, something creepy is going to happen here. Mm. But sometimes it doesn't. But, but I'm I'm ready for it. All right. So it's that kind of horror, which is to me the scariest kind of horror. It's more yeah. like I don't like anticipating horror. Yeah. Well, all right, that makes sense. So anyway, that's it's. But the story, I think, is very interesting. Mm. Yeah, I do like I like I like the meta bit of horror, like where you're like you want to know why it's horrific, right? You know, like that is interesting, like psychological kind of thrillers and stuff like that. Like it, I get that. But. It's kind of like a really dark, creepy, scary. This is us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually found this is us pretty dark and creepy and scary. So, oh, you don't like to cry? I'm, well, it's the it's the the Steelers. I don't like. Them oh, as it's much. the Steelers. No, yeah, I know. No, I know. Who There's knows? a lot of that. There's a lot of football. Well, they go from when this family is young, mm-hmm. and then you see them present day. So it's oh, I see. Know, so it's a lot it's, of flashbacks. It does that too, doesn't it? I guess it's not an unusual trope, but it's almost as if Betrayal Legacy does that too, oh, to a certain extent. Generations, yeah. Gross. You're gonna love that game. I am gonna love that game. Yeah, I'm all in. I think we can. I've been hoarding copies, but now I think I think it's time to crack one open. Is that the right word to use? Hoarding? Like you're dragon hoarding? Yeah. You're going to sit on them? Like I have been because I've been so scared I wasn't going to get them in time for my world tour. Oh, but you have them in time. And the world tour is over. You're, you can Actually, only tour the country now. Oh. Well, let's, uh, speaking of touring the world, uh, it sounds like Robert Wardaw's 
players have been uh, touring their 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 world and finding yeah. out new continents for a long time for thirty six years. So let's crazy, uh, crazy. find out what's been happening with him. I gotta hear how he does this. Let's go. We have a return guest. Yes. From foggy London, Ontario. Oh. Robert Wardaw. Hey, How are Robert. you? How are you guys doing? You are calling in and we get to see you in. Is this where you play your 36-year-long campaign? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm at a bit of a different angle, but this is, this, is, this is the seat where I do all my DMing from. Wow. So you very seldom are not in that seat, probably. That is actually very true. <laughs> <laughs> so we spoke to Robert, uh, we figured out, a year and a half ago, uh, May 2017, uh, about your then 34-year-long uh, D&D campaign. Uh, but why don't you give everybody a quick recap as to uh, what it was like getting started with this in 1982. 1982. Well, yeah, it's a heck of a long time ago now. But, uh, yeah, the game started uh, the same way I think that most of these campaigns uh, start. Um, young high school students are actually junior high students uh, in a very, very small town in a province called called uh, Saskatchewan in Canada's West and uh, with about uh, one player and then three players and then four players, uh, that's where the campaign started in 1982, not long after the whole game was invented, really. And you were the dungeon master of that campaign. I have only ever been the dungeon master. I think think perhaps I've played twice in like maybe a tournament once and maybe dropping into somebody's place. So I have very little perspective or experience of what it's like being a player, to be honest. Wow. All right. Well, that's... But you have 36 years of experience being a dungeon master. Yeah, 36 years. And I suppose the most, I mean, I know a lot of people when they hear that, they often say, oh, 36 years, um, I've been playing for 40 years or, um, or uh, you know, things like that. But the unique thing about this game isn't that it's been going since 1982. It's been going nonstop since 1982. And by that, I mean that there has never been a time in in all those years for more than, I'm going to say, three weeks is probably the longest that we've ever gone in 36 years without a session. So you're averaging two to three three sessions a week consistently. A week? But you play multiple times a week? Uh, Yeah, probably on average, it would probably be two times for sure. And it may be maybe 2.5 times over the 36 years. So that's the that's probably the biggest thing. And so you figure out the, the the number of hours of game time that you put in over a 36 year period, and also the depth of complexity that you can build into the, the same game, the same campaign that you've been doing over 36 years. And then it's been also the unique part is that it has been the same story over those 36 years. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. So in game time, uh, I think we've passed through. I'm just having a look at my calendar up here. It's the year 360. We probably started in 200 BF. So probably about five to 600 years of game time has passed. And of course, all that history has been built up. So we have players who have been playing from the beginning who are now maybe on their 18th generation of family line. Oh, okay. Yeah. So so, it's not not the same characters, but it's continuous descendants. Absolutely. And so people often ask about that. And so for sure, it's definitely not the same characters. I mean, the way I did it was I don't let people start again. So if you die, you're dead and you're gone. So death is the end. There, There's no hitting a reset button. But the way that you keep on playing is you build up a family line. 
And so you build up your family tree, you keep track of that family tree, and then those are the characters that you drop on. So do you ever have characters that die of natural causes? Because 500 years is a long time. Absolutely. So the other thing is that uh, once characters hit a certain level or they hit a certain age, uh, they often want to retire or they okay. want to start a new character. And so they're allowed to do that. So rather than having every character have to adventure until he basically dies or, or she, uh, they're able to actually um, retire those characters, still play them on rare occasions and, oh, and, and start a new character. But I'm a big, but I'm, I'm a big believer in only allowing people to have one character, one personality to focus on. I don't like people having multiple personalities in the game. Right, so having like a like a main one with a bunch of henchmen, for example, you, you kind of shy away yeah, from that. I do. Yeah, the whole henchman thing I have never ever got into and I don't use. I mean, if you have NPCs and that kind of thing, but the idea of building up henchmen to drag around with you, I suppose it didn't really ever make sense to me, so mm. I never really built it. So, uh, also just to recap for everybody, what what's the kind of style of your, your game or what's the story that's being told to to hold you know, these these players for, for this uh, long amount of time. Yeah, and I suppose in a lot of ways it's a, it's, a typical, it's a typical story. I mean, there's a great evil coming. There's a great, there, there is a great shadow coming. And the interesting thing is they don't know the definite identity of the enemy, so they call him the arriver. And so there is this enemy coming. He's in the process of arriving. Uh, he's garnishing his, or he's gathering his forces in the north. Um, and so the orcs, the goblins, the hobgoblins, all of the humanoid races are beginning to gather, getting ready for the arrival of this great evil that will trump every other evil, uh, evil that has ever come along. And so they're basically trying to thwart the progress and find a way ultimately to defeat the arrival. And that's been from the beginning? No, no, that's true. Uh, they didn't know about this force, and so they were fighting various aspects of the larger plan as the years went on, and it was only, oh, I'm going to say, well, probably in maybe 1991, <laughs> 1992, that they learned about the arrival and the big evil that was coming. Wow. That is so cool. So how many people, you said that some of these players are original players from the very beginning? That's right, yeah. How many players are in the group? Uh, well, there's probably maybe 60 active players right now that are playing. And, of course, that would be over the course of various parts of Canada, uh, some in Britain. Um, so they're scattered around now. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, obviously, they would never, ever all come together and play. Mm -hmm. But, um, but uh, so at any, at, at any session, I'm probably averaging anywhere from, let's say, six to nine players at the table. Uh, then maybe I have one or two coming in by camera online. Uh, but but actively involved with active players uh, in the in the campaign, you're probably talking about 60 playing right now. Wow. How does that work for them? Uh, well, okay, so the party would be out adventuring. And if they're not there, that means that I always know the last date that, that they played upon. And so when they are able to play, I catch them up in time. And I put a lot of value on their time off and what they do for training days. So they're, so aside from having just getting experience points and building your character that way, even when you're not playing, you're able to use the time that's passing in the game to develop skills. And so, I mean, obviously the best way to get experience and rise is obviously to play and it will always be like that. But I do want to have something else for those people who don't play very often so that if they haven't played in like 
two actual years, they're able to catch themselves up and have a bunch of skills at the same time. That's cool. But how do they get to play? Like, do they have to sign up in advance? Like, how do you, if you're like nope. part of this group and you want. Right. So, so uh, people fly in, right? So, uh, so I would have a group of people that are active in the local area. I got people that are, uh, that are in Toronto. So that's about two hours from me. So people are driving in all the time. And then I have people flying in. Um, oh my like God. We're, having, uh, we're having our big Halloween party this, this weekend. So I'll have one guy's flying in from Britain. People are flying in from, from the West uh, of Canada. And so they're, and so when people come in, we kind of binge play. That's why it's harder to know yeah. how, many, how many sessions I play total because when somebody's bought a ticket and they're coming in to play, I'm basically going to be playing with them all day, all night uh, for as much as they want to play. So we end up binge playing whenever people fly in. And so, and so often, like last weekend, we played four times, uh, four sessions over the course of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is nuts. They actually fly in. So as a dungeon master for a campaign that has run for 36 years, does the prep get, is it easier? Is it less now? Or does it become more? Because you have more things to manage and you've ha- you have 36 years worth of story to keep and track of. And 60 active players. And 60 active players. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, technology makes a big difference here. And every time we have a, we have a session... Somebody will record a first-hand diary account that that they will end up sending out um, to the entire group. So all, oh, all the players know, they see the story, they can see what's happening, um, and then all of those reports get put onto our website, and then they're all kept there. And then that, of course, provides a critical history because so much is happening, and so many sessions are happening that for for me to be able to keep track of what this particular dungeon looked like, or what or what they met. And ha- have they ever been here? And who have they met? So the party reports form a critical history uh, that I can go back to whenever they go back to an area. And it also keeps everybody plugged in to, to the storyline, to what's happening. Um, and so that's an important way uh, that we keep everybody kind of connected. But, I mean, coming in and playing at the table at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Yeah. How can you give an example of like what is happening in like a session? Say what you're planning. Well, maybe you don't want to give what you're planning for your Halloween party, but like the most recent session you had, like what's the kind of right. plot that they're yeah. dealing with? Right. And I didn't really answer Shelley's question. So uh, <laughs> the question was, um, how much prep do I do? And the actual answer to that is none. Okay. And that sounds weird, but um, after you, after playing for so long, and, and by about 1985, um, I mean, the whole rule system kind of is developing as a homebrew rule system. Um, and I had basically done all of the modules, right? All of the, all of the D&D modules that were out, I had, I had used those for, for my first three years. But by, the, by, but by about 1985, when I was starting my undergrad at university, I basically just realized that I was just going to go off on my own. And so you're basically reacting, and it also, by not having a set adventure that they have to do all the time, it basically allows them to do whatever they want to do. So my goal is to create a campaign. So, for example, when I'm going to, I will be playing Wednesday evening. So on the, on the, on the session coming up this Wednesday evening, I have no idea what's going to happen because I don't know where they're going to go and I don't know what they're going to do. And so I just adapt and I just react. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of cool 
because I've created obviously this whole world with all of this detail and depth in it. And so often when they're when they're going places, it's as if I'm going to different portions of my head and seeing what they're seeing for the first time at the same time. Mm. Now, obviously, it takes a certain skill to be able to react and adapt and keep it interesting and, you know, and all of those things. And I suppose I've developed those skills over three decades. <laughs> but in answer to your question, I find that there's not a lot of point in me doing a lot of prep because I could prep everything up and then they could say, hey, let's go do something else. And it's like, damn it. Hmm. So, yeah. Problem. And uh, and the question as far as what, uh, as far as this weekend, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to want to do. So I will react and adapt because I love that freedom of allowing them to go where they want to go. Yeah, well, you've created this world where it's the perfect simulationist feeling for uh, a player where like you have... You know, kudos to you for having a lot of this in your head, it feels like, uh, of what the detail of the tapestry of of the world is. And you can just have them do whatever they want. And you're pretty sure that you'd be able to adapt to it because it's something that's already you just be riffing off the ideas that you've already kind of cemented in your head. uh, and, And because I use an alternate version of our own historical timeline in a fantasy setting. Right. So it's our Earth, but in a in a fantasy setting. Um, and because I'm a history professor, and with that historical knowledge, it allows me to have a, probably a bit more, perhaps, background so that if they go into a Celtic area or a Norse area, you know, or a, a First Nations area, I'm able to provide that type of cultural detail just, mm. just on my historical knowledge. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you also have, like, uh, um, inspirations of areas that were taken from Lord of the Rings and from other, like uh, uh, Wind in the Willows or something like that. Is that is that correct, too? Um, well, it's a lot of the, I mean, it is the whole continent, and I call it a continent. The continent of Middle-earth exists um, off the coast. Um, so the Earth, they don't know the exact size of the Earth. They don't know exactly if there's even more lands out there. But they have discovered that Middle-earth is part of the earth and it's an entire continent um but in addition to that i use a lot of the wizards of the coast for example the drow right mm. places like menzo baranzan the drow the sea elves i mean you know, i mean so a lot of the terrains that i first began playing with from the wizards of the coast what was mtsr um i have built into the world i see and, and so they exist as well and so it it allows me to turn to that when i need all of that and you're not having to invent everything mm. every time have they been to the continent of middle earth oh absolutely yeah <laughs> and so and so it's middle earth 400 years after the destruction of the ring and oh. so uh, fourth and age so, yeah absolutely and so basically the premise here is that the nine ring race have now been brought back by the arrival so mm. this enemy coming is so powerful even more powerful than, than sauron was and so he has brought back the nine ring race. Each one of them is as is now as powerful as Sauron. And so the the party has to destroy all nine ring race, get the Nazgul daggers. And that's one of the things that they have to do in this in this uh, in all of these steps to end up ultimately facing the arrival. That's awesome. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, answer my, my, my question then. What, what happened in the last session that you played just to give us an example of what the kind of plot is, is going on? 
Well, the last sessions were actually twitched. Uh, so, um, oh. so that was, uh, so that was the first time, uh, that I've done twitch. Uh, you know, I believe the, the past tense is twatched. No, I'm, I'm no. like, I just twatched no. that. <laughs> no, I don't think we can say that. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> oh, okay. No. I'm getting disapproving shaking of heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the, uh, yeah. So the, the younger dudes, uh, in the group insisted that we, uh, you know, go with these tech things and do the whole twitch thing. And so we did that, and uh, and so for that I did a bit more prep just because I knew you, you know that I'm going to be getting that I'm going to be getting filmed and everything like that. But it, <laughs> but it was basically it was basically a vampire adventure. So it was back to the old traditional classic motif of the vampires finding out vampires, discovering if they were actually vampires, and then trying to wipe out vampirism. So that was what we were doing last. Fun. Last week. Mm-hmm. So what yeah. is the age range of the the players in your group? Uh, so, uh, yeah, they, they don't all have white beards like me, but they, um, <laughs> so it would vary. Uh, I mean, just because of, just because of the whole friendship concept and the fact that I've kind of, I mean, the game always began as a group of friends and then I gathered more and more friends as I went through life. So there's a lot of them that would be, you know, Jesus, they're probably aging from, I'm going to say 60 at the oldest. And I'm going to say the youngest, uh, players would now be maybe. Well, my daughter's playing, so she's 17. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's so we have a generational shift going on where our kids are now playing because, and of course, they have to be old enough because it's definitely adult adult content. So, uh, so so the age range would certainly go from about yeah, from maybe about 17 to 60. Oh, that's amazing. When did your uh, daughter start playing? I actually started her early because it was a cool thing for the two of us to do. And if you're trying to figure out something to do with your kid and, and I have this entire world that, that you can come play in. So I, she probably first set up a character when she was seven. Um, I didn't allow her to play with any of the adults. And so she was a fairy. And so she was able to go off and pick her flowers and pick her herbs and, and uh, you know, try to save animals in the forest. And so she began that. Now she's, she's still playing the same character. So she's a heck of a lot more powerful now. And she was actually one of the six people who was playing in the Twitch sessions on the weekend. Oh, cool. And she's very powerful now. She's still playing a fairy, but like a leveled up fairy? Yes, absolutely. The same character. That's cool. Same character, yeah, that's right. My goodness. So I'm wondering if there's like a Guinness book (laughs) world record for like the longest consecutive D&D game. Yeah, I mean, we got. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is the. Record. I'm looking for any kind of uh, contenders, but I don't think there are any. Like, I mean, the longest thing I ever ran was like two and a half years, maybe, and it probably had longer, you know, breaks than yours did, with longer than three weeks of not playing in that time oh, span. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about like even here in our building, I have started and stopped so many D and D games because like you know, work or. Yeah, whatever. Things, like, shift pe- or change, things change, yeah. and like we're right here, and for lunch we, you know, could just be playing, and off we can't keep a game going for that long. We can't even do thirty six days. I couldn't even do thirty six <laughs> days. Like one month of continuous. What play? level are your are your characters? Well, that's the other thing, and so I get this question a lot on on the Instagram and things like that. Uh, people, uh, my my homebrew rule system over time has evolved to the point that you're really talking my level system is about double what uh, the, for example, fifth edition D&D rule system would be. So if you, so when I say level 25, uh, for, for you guys, you're probably talking about level 13. 
And so, and so as far as the highest level character ever, I think you're probably talking maybe 42nd level, which would be about maybe 22nd level in D&D terms, in, in D&D rules. And, uh, and he probably played that character over the course of maybe 15 actual years. Wow. Uh, oh, my God. 15 years. That's yeah. crazy. Well, you can imagine how emotional people get when I finally kill them. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I, I've had big, burly, macho, growing men with tears running down their face. As, and, and, of course, it just all makes me very happy. I was just going to ask, how do you feel about that? Oh, I love it. I love it. <gasps> Well, well, I, don't you get attached too to these characters? Oh, uh, sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> but usually they've survived for so for so damn long. It's like just die already, would you? Just hurry up and die. But, uh, <laughs> and then you yeah. get their 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 scions to come up. Like I love that it's not it's necessarily uh, yes. a goodbye to that player or even Avenge that character because their death. you know yeah exactly uh, it's it's similar to betrayal legacy in a way too. It is. I was thinking of that. Yeah, you play the different the different generations. generations. Um, but I noticed that you have allowed your daughter to continue with the same character for yeah, that long. When are you going to kill her character? Oh, soon, soon. <laughs> <laughs> not the, not what I expected. No, yeah, it, it was actually interesting because when she first started, I can always—I mean, she was a ranger, air, air elementalist, and so uh, she loves animals and she loves cats. And so uh, I can remember at one time when she came across this this orc who just conveniently was wearing the skulls of baby cougars around its neck. Oh, boy. You know, just to get her a little going. But she went out on that adventure, and her pet, her own pet panther died. And I can can remember watching going, oh, no, I mean, I I can't break my rules of impartiality. I'm not going to save this cat. And so thank God she rolled a God call, and thank God she got the call, and thank God they saved that panther. Otherwise, I was going to have a very upset little seven-year-old girl. Oh, yeah. What's What's a God call? Oh, uh, well, that's um, okay, okay. So in my campaign, it's very difficult to be erased from the dead. And so basically, just because I want death to mean something and I want death to be to be the end. So um, when you die, you basically got two hours uh, to get a raised dead. There's no such thing as a resurrection. There's only raised dead. There's no reincarnation. Get a raised dead, uh, two hours. And if you don't get it, that's it. You're done. And so, and so, um, there. I mean, a god call basically means grab the thirty-sided dice, roll a one, two, or three on the, on the thirty-sided dice, and pray that your god's gonna gonna step in and save you. And that that would uh, one of the things that god call could do is a raise dead. They could come in and basically get your heart going again. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was that be after the two hours, or is that before? You know. That's before. That's well. That's if the two hours are up and there's no raised dead coming, and you're gonna die, and this is it. And you're done. Character's gonna be gone forever. No chance of ever, ever, ever coming back. Then you can grab your thirty sided dice, and maybe your god will save you. Maybe. I like that. I know that's kind oh. of a cool, cool role. Oh. You know. What other kinds of roles like that do you have in your campaign? Yeah, maybe you could talk a little bit more about how you mod. It, you took uh, uh, OD and D, and then have kind of built on it from there. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I just began evolving and whenever um so there's all kinds of second third fourth fifth edition rules that are built in the ones that i like and the ones that i don't like i just don't use but also over the over the years the biggest thing about my rule system is how fast and fluid it is and if you have a look at the twitch sessions that's what you're going to see um when i'm watching other groups play um i yeah that's probably one of the biggest differences is that when i'm sitting there uh it's like okay Craig, I would call you by your character name, and I'd say, what do you want to do? And then you would 
And then if you take too long, I'm going to go going, going, okay, gone. Kelly, what do you want to do? And so I'm going around to the table fast. And so I want everything to be fluid. I want decisions to be made fast. I want the action to be there. I want the excitement level to be high um, and everything to be fast and fluid. I don't want to have to stop and, you know, look at my Dungeon Master screen or open a book. Uh, ideally, everything's going fast to try to maximize excitement and also entertainment. So that would be... So any rules that slowed me down, I would find ways to streamline them so that everything can move fast. But one of the other things, um, I, I would say, like an, an example of an innovation that I've built in would be the whole defensive round. So when people swing, right? So if you're going to attack something, it's okay. Well, you're the one. Uh, you're the one who's calling out what you're going to do. You're the one rolling the dice. But I find that I've built it in so the defender also gets to indicate what he or she's going to do. So the block, the parry, the dodge, all of all of these things are built in. So the attacker is rolling a dice, but the defender is also, also he's rolling a dice at the same time. And so that kind of, and so you've almost opened up the round for an entire other half and you've built in a whole defensive thing. That's often built in to the one role, but this way you separate it out. And so things like that would be an example. That sounds like it would slow down combat, though. How, how does that speed it up? Well, I'm just not going to allow you much time. If, <laughs> if, if, if Shelly's going to pick up that mug and she wants to hit you on the side of the head. I do so up, badly. Uh, you know, can. That's what, that's Roll the die. <laughs> so I would say, Shelly, what do you want to do? She says, I'm going to pick up my mug and I'm going to hit Craig in the head. Yes. Or uh, Greg. And I'm going to say, Okay, do you want to do double damage? Are you trying to stun him? And she's going to tell double me damage. exactly. Exactly. And so she would roll, but then I would quickly turn to you, and I'd say, what are you going to do? And so you I'm going to duck. You could dodge, right. And so at the same time that she's rolling her dice, you would roll your dice. And, and then, then you just... Look, and then you'd see what... And, and then we would see whether you actually ducked or whether she actually hit you. Well, I guess if you are doing that uh, uh, insistence or you're like, all right, move, 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 move on, that wouldn't slow it down. But I can imagine if there was a less insistent dungeon master where that could get a little bit more bogged down because you're basically asking for two decisions each roll. Yeah. If it's one thing I'm not, it's less insistent. (laughs) More insistent is better, which is the opposite of what I think of as as Canadian. So thank you for for bucking (laughs) all of the stereotypes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> D has turned him. He hasn't said sorry once. No, no sorry's coming here. <laughs> <laughs> no sorry, I killed your character. That's not happening. Yep. Uh, well, I dig, I dig all this. Uh, so you know, it's been uh, a, a year and a half since we talked. What What do you think is other than you know showing up on Twitch? Uh, what What are some changes? What are, What's What's been happening to this campaign that you think would be of a, a interest to Dungeon Masters? Sure. Uh, okay. So um, it's been in the last year and a half that, that they have actually discovered that Middle Earth is not another world. It's not another dimension. It's not another plane. And they can actually sail there physically. So it is a, it is a continent on Earth. So that's been one example. A second example would be that we finished a big campaign where um, I had um, the storm giants and the cloud giants. They had not seen any storm giants or cloud giants. And when they went back through the party history, they actually realized that other than rumor and myth, they had never actually come across cloud giants or, st- or storm giants. And so uh, they basically realized that the evil giants had forced the good giants out of the world and had prevented them from coming back to this plane. 
And so they did a whole campaign to find the gate, to open the gate, and to allow the cloud and storm giants to come back, which will help them in their larger struggle against the arriver, because the giant army is one of the most powerful armies out there. And so the storm giants and the cloud giants coming back will will cause dissension within the giant family. So that would be an example. That's cool. Uh, so they did a whole campaign against Yanagu, the demon lord Yanagu. So the demon lord had been, and the cool thing, because the campaign's been going on for so long, they banished Yanagu. And when a demon gets banished in my world, they're gone for 100 years. They can't return to the world for 100 years. But the cool thing when you have a campaign that's going on this <laughs> long is yeah. that they banish Yanagu in real time. They banish Yanagu in the year 1990. And so Yanagu came back and was on the earth causing all kinds of trouble. And so this summer, they actually managed to do a whole campaign against the Knolls in the Knoll Kingdom. And they actually managed to banish Yanagu. Again, so that would be an example. A third example would be uh, the drow. The dark elves have come up from Enzo Baranzan. They've come up from the Underdark, and they have fulfilled their prophecy. They have come back onto the surface and set up their first surface realm. Um, and so that's very, very scary, knowing that the dark elves are now back up on on the surface and they're beginning to live on the surface. So that's all part of the arrivers' plan. So those would be three examples of large campaigns that the party's done in the last year and a half. And you mean by campaign, you mean like just a, like kind of a a story that kind of has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then you kind of move on to another chapter after that. Yeah, like yeah, like uh, that was a campaign that they had to do, and they had to get it done, and it took you know like multiple multiple sessions uh, in order to do it, but they did actually uh, accomplish it. Well, and it also sounds like you're using you know, at least some of the lore material that was in um, Adventures published for 5th edition over the last five years. Were you somewhat inspired by that? Oh, yeah. Well, I use those directly. That's a, that's a, that, I mean, that was the whole idea of the campaign in the first place. Rather than starting from scratch and having to reinvent everything from scratch, uh, and you're going to end up basing it on things anyway, I, um, I realized, for why not use history? Why not use other worlds such as Tolkien's world, uh, Conan's world exists. Um, why not use those? Because there's so much depth and detail and details on cities. So rather than just not be able to use it, why not use it? So the Forgotten Realms are and the World of Greyhawk and all those things are all over my campaign. Mm. I like that. It's like a kind of like a best of. Exactly. It's all. It's all in there. Which which was there to allow people to, I mean, if Greg, you came in and said, I really want to play a dragonborn paladin, right? If you want to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's doable, right? I mean, I can adapt to adjust to people's creativity because there's an entire world out there. Who knows what's out there, right? Who knows what hasn't been discovered out there yet? Who knows what lands haven't been discovered yet? And of course you can just, and that's what allows everything to stay fresh and to keep on going. Because of course the big issue in most in most campaigns is you go along, characters get too powerful, and then you almost have to stop because they're kind of reaching they're kind of reaching God status. But so I developed the rules so that you can be high and high and high level and there's no such thing as reaching God status, first of all, because I don't think it makes sense from a religious standpoint. And of course I do religion very differently also, right? Uh, I don't treat it as magic, I treat it as actual religion. Um, so so there is no 
doing that. But people all, also often ask, well, what level is your campaign? Because, I mean, they're so used to when you adventure, the what you're going to encounter has to be has to be made to hit a certain level. And if you don't have that, there's going to be a great imbalance. And I just answered, there is no level of my campaign. I mean, if you came in as a new character, you could head out and you could be going up with other characters who are like 25th level. And in, in a lot of rule systems, that, that first level would basically be dead for sure. And there isn't anything that they'd be able to offer. But in our rule system, that first level could end up being the hero, right? Because you can always do a kill shot or you could contribute in all kinds of ways. So, so I've kind of got around the issue that, all, that everything you do has to be built towards a certain level. So that's interesting. How if a first level character uh, swings at a twenty fifth level monster, for example, um, are you just saying that uh, you, th- there's a chance that it'll hit? It's okay. less less than it'll be if it was a you know a twenty fifth level hero fighting against it. But there's always a possibility they could. Yeah. See, when you're swinging to hit the what you were trying to hit, the level wouldn't matter. I mean, his his uh, evasion level would. His armor class would, his various skills would, but so I mean that first level swinging would have the same chance of hitting anything else depending on how fast you are. But it would just all depend what that twenty fifth level would do for his defensive round. So it's so I've kind of got away from this idea um, that where you're kind of trapped into the fact that low levels are basically are basically useless and they would have no chance of saving against certain things and certain attacks would just basically wipe them out. Yeah. That doesn't happen in my rule system. Well, that's good. That's good. That's awesome. That's like uh, uh, makes it a much easier way to integrate uh, people from 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 new. And then also the idea that like, oh, death is permanent. So that once you get to a certain level, the risk is still always going to be there. That a bad role will, Absolutely. yeah, you make a wrong choice or even not even just you know, chance can can always uh, uh, strike you down. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's probably more dangerous for the high levels because the enemy's going to be targeting them because they're the threat. Yeah. And so my, my high-level players are often whining and complaining because they feel like they're constantly under fire and and uh, and under threat. And it's like, well, yeah, because if the enemy doesn't take you out, you're going to kill them. So, of course. Well, that's of why course. they keep recruiting young people right. <laughs> to join your campaign. That must make sense. That's right. <laughs> so Greg mentioned your campaign is similar to Betrayal Legacy, which is our board game coming out later this year. Oh, cool. Um, so with a legacy game, for people who aren't familiar with it, is the game changes and evolves permanently depending on your actions in the game, the player's actions. So Can you explain it, that? What, what does that mean? So it's like this is... You, you play through the game and there's things that will happen like um, you'll create new rules. And there will actually be like a sticker in the game that you discover and then place in the rule book. Like maybe you're replacing a rule or you're inventing oh, wow. a new rule. Or it might ask you to like actually tear up a card or, or name a card or like in the, the Risk Legacy, there's a legacy version of Risk and you can actually like you know, permanently name parts of the board. Put it's down little, cities. Put and down like- cities. And like it's a little bit weird for the first yeah. when you think like, wait, I have to tear up my cards? Like... <laughs> But people do it, and it's awesome. Wow! But part of what with the Betrayal Legacy game is that you're you're playing generations of families. You play the same family, but different yeah. members of that family throughout 
1666 all the way up to 2004. And part of what happens in that game is you can discover items and then you can choose to heirloom them for your family. And then in future games, if those come up, they come back to you, you get an extra bonus if you use it. Do you have things like that in your game with like other things that, that can be passed on to family members that have come up again? Oh, yes. Yeah. See, and now I can hear my players' voices. Oh. And they're basically whining, and they're using the word silver spoon because they always complain about these people who have long family lines. Yeah. And of course, they have treasuries built up. And so in comes that first-level character from a long family line, and they've got dragon armor, and they've got a beautiful dragon shield, and they got a you know, high plus weapon. And That's so, cool. and so there's, a, so absolutely you want to do that. Um, so there's a, so that word legacy items that gets used in, in my campaign all the time to complain about families who have silver spoons, who, 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 who of course keep coming back. Um, so that definitely happens. Of course, all the, at other times, all the items will be destroyed. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I had one player who a year ago had all of his legacy items on him and he got disintegrated <gasps> And they're and they're all gone, and I don't think he's recovered yet. So I mean, uh, <laughs> wow. he's not okay. That's not. No, he's, he's not that's okay. Rough. And so, so those because he's been building those items, yeah, for like thirty years, right? And then they and then they're gone, and of course, sorry, goodbye. Uh, there it is. So, There's the sorry. Yep. Oh, we got one. <laughs> There's the sorry. That was a, that was a total sorry, not sorry. Fantastic sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. So that kind of thing. Uh, happens um and so and also um like i even have characters who uh, when they're spending their training time they will spend it training their young kid coming up so that when that character comes up they already have some training right what's training so, time oh like fo- what i call focus days so that's the time so so like if if you haven't played let's say in like six actual months oh uh, oh you did mention um, that. yeah it could be that a year and a half has passed in the game and so I'm going to, you get to play with me that year and a half time to do character development. Where were you? What were you doing? Have you had kids? What's been happening? Um, how have you been funding yourself? But also in your training days, what skills have you been working on? So your character sheet actually gets altered by your training time. That's, you, a, that's a cool way. Do to, you have your own template for a character sheet? Yes. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, uh, clearly, with the with the ship behind you, I don't know if your viewers can see that, but there's lots of miniatures on the shelves behind you. Uh, you have it be a very visual campaign. Yeah, the because um, one of the things actually, I don't know if you know this, but as a result of the last podcast that I did, mm. uh, CNN contacted me to do a great big story, and so what? and so and so we it's did. A mini- so yeah, that's right. News happen. And so, and so we did. A mini, uh, so they flew in from New York, and they did, and they did an entire mini doc uh, uh, on the campaign. And if you see there, you'll see the board and the, the tables. I mean, because yeah, like I've got you know over twenty thousand uh, professionally hand painted figurines. Um, like I mean, I'm down in 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 my basement now. And if you could see, like I mean, that stuff behind me, that's just stuff that I want to grab quickly for the table. Um, but I mean, I'm changing terrains, and I've got like. Yeah, I've got an entire room full of boxes and boxes and boxes up to it. That's so, so it's great. definitely a visual campaign. Fit, and if you watch the Twitch that we did, uh, that that's now going up on YouTube, um, that you'll see the table and you'll see the terrain and you'll see the figs. That plays a massive role. How did you guys integrate that? Did you uh, have a camera not only on the on the 
um, dice rolling, but on the miniatures themselves? How did that work? Well, so when I was, because of course I don't really know much about Twitch, and so actually when I was watching you guys Twitch and I was watching UDM, um, I could see that what most people were doing was basically there'd be a camera on each of the players and one on the DM and possibly a square screen in the in the middle. So what we did was because the figs and the terrain mean so much, what I wanted, so I had two cameras on the players. So you got one camera on three players, one camera on, on three other players. And then we had separate dice cams that would only come on when people were actually rolling. Because I think that's such an important, I mean, people love dice and they love to roll. And so to actually, that's the action part of a campaign or of a session. So to actually see the dice roll, I thought, because when I'm watching Twitch, it's like, I can't see what they're rolling. I can't see what they're rolling. And so to have the dice boxes and to have that come up, that was cool. But then I had a camera that's behind the, that's behind the figs. So that would give them a first-person shooter view. Mm. And then we had another camera up higher that would show the entire table. And so there was a totally there was a total of, of about six six cameras going to show all of these things happening at the same time. That's cool. And then did you was there a player that was switching, or was there somebody else who was kind of switching the cameras as they as you played? Well, I had to have yeah yeah. It's definitely I mean, and that's it's it's a that Twitch stuff's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like uh, yeah. So I had to basically have one guy that was basically switching the camera every time I had to have another guy um, answering, you know, people's questions and comments, um, which is weird for me because of course I'm not used to being watched. Right. right. So my whole concept is, well, you know, I mean, people, people aren't supposed to be watching. Right. And so, um, so that was a bit weird. And it was weird having people here at the house who have characters who weren't playing because, because I'd say, why would you, I mean, come on, play, play. And so it was a bit weird that way, but it's, yeah. So it definitely took a little bit of tech work for sure. Well, I'm cool. I want to check it out because I do uh, love the integration with miniatures. I know there's a few uh, streams that have done that, uh, but I think it's a, a open area for experimentation. Well have, well, have a look. I mean, I think the Twitch sessions are just beginning to go up on YouTube, and I'm pretty sure it's the game DND. So when it comes to Instagram, when it comes to the website, when it comes to, when it comes to Twitch, it's off the game uh, game D and D, and there could be an underscore in there. But yeah, I, I think they're on your Instagram it's an underscore, and it is D letter N D, right? That's right. Yeah. 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 And that's the same Twitch handle you got. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. So, are you going to do it again? The Twitch. If there's a reason to do it again, I uh, I'm I'm trying. Uh, of course, being a bit old school, I'm trying to figure out. Why? Yeah. So, I mean, like, <laughs> I guess the big question would be why. Uh, it was cool to do. It was neat to do. And it, and it answered because a lot of people, particularly on Instagram, often say, well, can we watch a play? Can I see a session? And and so it, and, and so it was cool to offer that. But uh, it's a bit weird being on camera the entire time that you're playing. It affects you in ways. Right. I mean, like, because I mean, I don't I don't censor anything. Right. I mean, when I'm playing when I'm playing the game, bad things can happen. Terrible dark things can happen. I'm not going to hold them back. And if things are happening, and if that's what I'm seeing in my head, uh, then that's what's co- going to happen. So it was a bit. So I mean, obviously, when you're on Twitch and you're playing that way, you're aware that you're being watched. You're aware what you're saying. Uh, and of, and of course, being a professor, I live in a very politically correct world. And so those thoughts were in my head, and I don't really want them to be in my head when yeah. I'm playing. And I want. And one question that I would have is: Are the players? actually acting completely like they would act 
if there were no cameras. Right. That's what I was going to ask. If you found like that you were censoring yourself or if the players felt awkward. I mean, it it is awkward. You're in front of a camera all of a sudden after 36 years. Yeah. And you don't know who's who's watching. So I would say inevitably the players are going to alter their behavior inevitably. I mean, I can feel myself. I mean, obviously I like to talk. I like to give detail, but I'm giving more detail because I know that I'm also performing. Mm. I'm also trying to give other people that don't have the background a little bit more background, which is good, and that doesn't hurt. But uh, at the end of the day, you want everyone to sit and to play and to be happy and to be comfortable and to be in that safe space where they can play and they can role play. I mean, because we actually cast spells. Like When a player is casting a spell, you don't just say, I'm casting a spell and cross it off. You actually, there's hand motions and there's words that you actually cast in our game. Oh, wow. Right, and so it can be a bit... Weird for people to all of a sudden start, and you'll see that on the Twitch also. You'll actually see people casting spells. And so, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, they seem fine, uh, but you have to be selective because all my, uh, of all my 60 players, there's only going to be a certain number of them that would ever want to be filmed and want to be on Twitch. Right? Yeah, I almost uh, wonder if there's like a uh, offshoot campaign that you could do that like, okay, well, this particular one, uh, with these particular six players that have signed on to be doing it, like they're going to go to the continent of Middle, Middle Earth or something like that, or like or have like you know, fi- I mean, something that you might be able to take from from us is that we have these finite stories and arcs that we will have like ten to twelve episodes, and that's that's what we're programmed to do. And you might exactly. be able to do something similar where you get like a, a shorter amount of buy-in. It doesn't affect your overall campaign, other than you know whatever the events of that might affect it, but. Yeah, there's yeah, some no, there's something to be said are, for that. You are you are absolutely right, and that's and that is the way to do it. Find a group of players that don't mind being filmed, and then almost 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 send them off on a on a small campaign on their own, still within the world, still tied to the story arc, but just off on their own. And that's kind of what I did on Twitch. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm I mean I'm I mean it's going to be a bit revolutionary because I'm going down to GaryCon, and I'm going to be running a table in GaryCon. Oh no way. Uh, and so that'll and so that'll be the first time that I'm actually, uh, you know, just basically bringing in strangers and saying, okay, here's some characters, sit down and play. But that will also be very much built into the world, you know, uh, in into the same campaign. But it'll be a small it'll be a small storyline uh, within the campaign. But Sweet. you're absolutely right. That is that would be the way to do Twitch for sure. Well, sign me up. I want to be in that game. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Nice. I, I was like 50-50 on Gary Khan, but I think you might have just sold me uh, on, <laughs> on, on going this year. Good. I know, Good. I know Luke Gygax has been trying to sell Shelly on going as well. What? <laughs> Nobody's ever talked to me. <laughs> right now. It's in March. It'll be fun. I'm on, on the website. Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Come on. Who doesn't want to go? <laughs> exactly. Sunny Lake Geneva. Uh, that's all really exciting. Um, I Cool. Well, any other uh, tidbits you want to impart uh, before we, we sign off and talk to you again when it's 38 years? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hopefully by then, um, hopefully ask me then if, if I killed a lot of the high-level characters and that would be... That would be an accomplishment because, man, some of them are hard to kill. It's time for a culling. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Well, when you plan out that session, uh, that might be a good one to Twitch. Yeah, that might be a good Twitch one. (laughs) Well, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking, wow, what if somebody actually dies on Twitch? I thought, wow, that would now now that would be real TV TV happening right there. What What if it's the arriver? What if it's your daughter's character? What if it's your daughter's character? No. Fairies don't live forever. 
Sorry, uh, I'm an impartial oh. DM. What can I do? Sorry. Sorry. It's just the dice. It's life lessons, kid. Exactly. Exactly. Life, life lessons. <laughs> <laughs> School Players of hard knocks here. Yeah. Uh, sure. Awesome. Well, I feel like there's uh, you know tons of more questions people will always want to throw at you about this campaign because it is super fascinating that you've been running this continuous story uh, for so long. Yeah. You know, going on almost four decades now. Um, so how can people get in touch with uh, with you? I think you mentioned the Instagram and the Twitch already. Are, you know, is there any other format that you like to prefer to get questions about stuff? Um, I think Instagram's probably the biggest one. So uh, the underscore game D&D, that uh, that's a good place to go because there you'll see the table, you'll see the campaign, you'll see the players, you'll see all of that stuff. And plus, that's where uh, since that has all began, and so since I talked to you guys a year and a half ago, uh, we are having players come in through through that medium, and so and also via the talk that that we did last time, players came in. So uh, so that would be the main place to go. And then I guess the YouTube channel we're going to put more and more stuff up there. So those would be the two major contact points. We have done a we have done a, a website just to kind of answer questions about the game, and that's also called thegamednd.com. So that's available too if people have all kinds of questions about the rules the campaign, how to create a character, how does death work, how does religion work, all of those types of things. So I've kind of tried to answer a whole bunch of questions there. Awesome. Nice. And just to be clear, it's the underscore game D&D. D&D, yeah. Got it. All right. Well, everyone, go check it out if you haven't already. Uh, go watch the videos on the YouTubes uh, as well as the Twitches. And uh, uh, yeah, well, happy gaming. I hope you, uh, hope you kill all of your high-level characters. <laughs> soon well thank you so much for your interest you got two years to do it yeah we'll be checking in oh we have one final thing you mentioned that you had those um those logs of uh all of the uh players that have done it is that is that public or is that only private right now we we are now putting the party reports which tell the whole story and more and more stuff from our actual website is going on to the um the game dnd uh, com. So that website is a good place for us to put a lot of that textual stuff. Mm-hmm. So the website is more the place for photographs and for text, whereas, of course, Instagram is mainly just for photos. Got it. Awesome. That would be the place. Well, that, those, right. those are, are a wealth of information, I'm sure. So look into those if you're uh, at all uh, want to peel back the layers of this campaign. Well, thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Robert. Thank you. Happy gaming. That was a really oh great interview. How, how does he keep his players engaged for 36 years? I don't know. But he's it's, amazing. It's mostly because he's a very engaging person. He's I think. very engaging. I like that he's committed to the verisi- verisimilitude. Is yeah. that how you say that word? Good one. <laughs> yeah. Run the gamut. On that gamut. the gamut in D and D, it's like gamut. Exactly, uh, but no, I think he's he's very um, engaging. So I think that is a big reason why, and people are invested. They're he's got invested. a lot of really cool techniques too in the game. Yeah, like the the god call I thought was really cool. I know, I know. And there was one part I wanted to follow up on them on, which we didn't get time to. Was he said religion works very differently mm-hmm. in his campaign? It's more like a real religion. Like a real religion. And I was like, oh, I want to. Pick yeah. that thread up, but we never right, did. Write that down, because in two years, we will we'll ask <laughs> I'm taking all my notes. I'm going to totally write that down uh, into my brain pan. Yep. And, Maybe uh, you can find the answer on his website. That's true. We can go to his Instagrams, even. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I love that he has Instagram. I know. He's cool. I feel like he's being dragged uh, kicking and screaming into the information age. He's still stuck in uh, the pen and paper miniatures of the 80s. Uh, as well as, I mean, I like that he's been like iterating on, you know, yes. old school Dungeons and Dragons as well. It's, working it's, been, for him. it's been really working. So creative, uh, and uh, he's taking inspiration from what's happening in fifth edition I think as he's well. Doing it the right way. I love it. Yep, mashing all it all things. up. And now, hopefully, we'll be uh, joining his campaign at GaryCon. Nice yeah. way to angle your way into that. That might be fine. I'm sorry, I've said it out loud, so that means Nathan has to approve it. You're going to GaryCon. <laughs> yeah. See. You just said it. I'm using the power of the universe. The, Greg Tito's going to GaryCon. You're using a god call. We're in. It's a 30-sided die. Ah, dang it. We I know. I didn't a have a 30-sided die. Who has a 30-sided die? Robert Warren on us. But have you seen one? Yeah. No, I have. 30? Yeah, they, they sell them. Sometimes they're, uh, they're, they're uh, you know, cut like a real polyhedral die. But I've also seen uh, ones that have like uh, a die in the middle of it and then it, you just roll it and then whatever. It's like – it's kind of like a magic eight ball where like they'll oh, throw something on the top. And that's like, cool. Yeah. Those those work too. And then those can go up much higher. They can go like up to like 99 wow. uh, sided dice even though it's not necessarily sided. It's just like a thing you roll that gives you a random number between 1 and 99. Cool. I'm sure he's got all those toys, uh, in addition to the miniatures and the terrain that he's been collecting for 36 years. It's good that he's on, on Twitch. I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking around for, for Pelham Airhorn Green. <laughs> <laughs> he was not around. Uh, all right. I think we got to close this out. What do you think, Shelly? Yeah, why not? All right. Where can people find you? Find me on the Twitter at Shelly Moo. You can find me on the Twitter. At Greg Tito. And? Uh, at Instagram yeah. at Greg underscore Tito. Was there another Greg Tito on, t- on Instagram? There was. Yeah, there was another one. So I had to put the underscore in there. What? Isn't that crazy? I know. You should be friends with this guy. I got to kill him. Uh, and so kill him. if you want to find out everything about this crazy game that we love talking about on this here podcast, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Do it. Tons of information on there. Dragon Plus is also a very good resource for the you. Best. You can inv- in, uh, install it onto your phones. Uh, you can check it out on the web, DragonMag.com. All of the issue content is on there and we also collate almost all of our social media posts into one feed so if you ever want to see where everything is at go to dragonmag.com and you can find it out a lot of people don't use dragon plus for that reason but i think that's one of the best features of what's happening there so do it do it you're good people you're all great um if only there were not these rocks about to fall on us do they have to be rocks Ah! Ah! death becomes her Thank you.